we're in our Hebrew word study called the Shema. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. And this, and it looks like maybe I don't have, this is not advancing. Oh, there we go. And this is the Shema. Uh, if you're new this morning, we've been going through this six-week series. We're on week five. If you missed any of it, you can go back and, and find it all online. But we're on week five of a six-week series called the Shema. And the Shema is, Shema is a Hebrew word. And we're doing a Hebrew word study on these six words in blue. Listen, O Israel. This is what Moses spoke to the People of Israel, back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, this was after he led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and toward the promised land. And and in Deuteronomy, if you know the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, it's Moses' sort of his, his final words to the people of Israel as they're standing on the edge of the promised land, getting ready to build homes and start a society and, and plant gardens and have their own thing finally. They'd been living in Egypt for 400 years and they'd been living in slavery there. So if you could imagine, they, they had no identity as a people. They had no rules. They were just, they were under the thumb of Pharaoh. And so God raised up Moses to, to lead the Israelites out of captivity and into freedom. And in Deuteronomy 6 is where Moses is sort of giving them these, these commands. He's giving them this these last marching orders before they go in to start their homes and gardens and society, right? And here's what he said. This was, if there's anything in the Old Testament that's more important than the Ten Commandments, you're looking at it. The reason I say that is because Jesus even responded to the Pharisees in the New Testament when they said, what's the most important law in the, in the, in the Ten Commandments? And Jesus didn't give them any of the Ten Commandments. He gave them the Shema. This is what he quoted to them. So this was a prayer of allegiance that ever since Moses said this for the very first time in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 5, from then on, this became sort of like their pledge of allegiance as a people of Israel. So if you were a Jewish person growing up anywhere from 3,000 to 1,000 years ago, you would know this prayer by heart. This is something that you would know. Kind of like in my home, uh, something that we all know. My dad said to us when we were young, make a decision and make it work. And so that's something that all the Dwyer kids know. Make a decision and make it work. That's kind of one of those things we live by. This is what the Jewish people lived by, is the Shema. And so that's why we're studying it. So there's your context. So we looked in week one at the word listen. And the word in Hebrew for listen is Shema, and that's why it's called the Shema. It's because it's the first word in the prayer. So listen, O Israel, which, by the way, doesn't just mean let sound waves enter your ear. It actually means pay attention. How many of you know there's a difference between listening and paying attention? Yeah, I know that. My wife would be raising her hand right now as well. She used to say to me all the time, hey, 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 hey. Would you please listen to what I'm saying, right? And with our own kids, how many of you have teenagers or know a teenager? Anyone know a teenager? Good. They need to shema more. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah, teenagers need to listen more, okay? It's not just hearing words. It's paying attention and acting on it. And so that's the first word, listen. And then the second word we looked at is Lord, the word Yahweh. And, and, and really the point there is that That God is the authority, that as the Israelites are getting ready to go into the promised land and and start their own society, a society that doesn't have proper authority is not going to be a society for very long. That deserves an amen. I think that that one deserves. 
Yeah, that or a what, what. Like what, what, that is so true. If you don't have authority, if you don't recognize as a people who your authority is, if everyone just does whatever they want to do, then you're in big trouble. And so, so Moses was saying, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. He is the ultimate authority in our, in our lives, in our families, in our nation. And then week three, we looked at the word love. He says, you must love the Lord your God. That's such a relational word. God wants us to love him. He wants a relationship with us. He doesn't just want to give you a bunch of rules. He doesn't just want to give you a bunch of laws. He wants a relationship with you. It's right there in the Shema. You must love the Lord your God. And then last week we talked about, he he talks about loving God in three ways. Heart, soul, and strength. And last week we looked at what it means to love the Lord your God with your levav or your heart. The Hebrew word is levav. Your heart actually doesn't just mean the feeling part of you like in our culture. See, the problem with translations If you speak another language, you understand how hard it is to translate something. That It's very difficult to translate. I I speak Spanish, and every once in a while I'll preach at our Spanish campus, and as as the Spanish pastor is translating my words, and I speak Spanish, but I'm still, I'm uncomfortable preaching in Spanish, but... As I, as I preach it, he's translating it, and I'm listening to his translation, and sometimes I'll actually say it in Spanish because he stinks at translating it, right? <laughs> no, that's not the reason. His, his Spanish is way better than my Spanish, but the reason I do that is because, because I say something, and he translates it, and I'm like, no, that didn't quite get it. So then I'll try to say it in Spanish, because a lot of times there's stuff that's just lost in translation. And I think heart is one of those words where there's a lot lost in translation. Because, And we're going to see that with soul today too. I haven't even gotten to the sermon yet, but we're going to get there. Heart, levav, means it doesn't just mean what we think in our culture. We think heart is the feeling part of you, like follow your heart. That is not what it means in this passage. That's, part, that's one small part of it. Heart, we looked at last week, means your whole inner person. And to a Hebrew thinker, your heart includes your mind. There's actually not a word for brain in Hebrew. When they would say heart, heart is the closest, levav is the closest thing for brain, the way you think. So when they say heart, they're talking about your whole inner person, the way you think, the way you feel, And then the way you make decisions. And so heart means your inner person. So Moses was saying, love the Lord your God with all your inner person. With all of your inner person. Love the Lord your God with the way you think, the way you feel, and the way you make decisions. That was last week. And today, we're looking at the second way that we should love the Lord your God. We're going to look at the word soul. And once again, the word soul in Hebrew is not at all what you think it is. When, you, when we think of the word soul in English, most of us, especially if you grew up in the church, but even if you didn't, most of us, when we think about the soul, we think about this, this spiritual part of us that lives on after we die. We think of, okay, I've got a body and I've got a soul, and the soul is the non-physical part of me. That's how we normally think of it. And to be honest, in the New Testament, there are some places in the New Testament where that's exactly what it's talking about. 
But in this passage, that's not at all what it's talking about. Because soul to a Hebrew person did not have that sense. It didn't have that meaning. So today we're going to talk about the meaning of soul in Hebrew. The Greek word, or the Hebrew word is nephesh. And the word is actually translated throat. Your nephesh is your throat. That's one of the most common literal translations of the word. Let's get to our first talking point today. In English, the soul usually refers to the non-material part of us that survives after death. But the Hebrew concept of soul is best understood as the whole person, the essence of who we are. So the heart is your inner person. That was last week. The soul is the whole person. One translation, one, one place that we see soul in the, in the Old Testament is right here in Psalm 119, verse 175. The psalmist writes, let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. Now, this is in the ESV. I'm putting the ESV translation up there right now. But I'm going to open up my, here at Alpine, we typically preach out of the NLT. There's no, there's no one best translation. All the translations are great. We, the reason we preach out of the NLT is because it's the easiest to understand. I like to study out of the ESV, and I grew up reading the NIV. So there are all, all kinds of great translations. I'm not trying to be a translation snob here. But I do want to read for you what my translation says of this. I want you to see this. This is the ESV. And I'm going to read now out of my Bible, the NLT, and some of you might have that as well. And it says this. ESV, let my soul live and praise you. NLT, let me live so I can praise you. See the difference? The NLT translates my soul as me. Let me live and praise you and let your rules help me. In other words, one translation for nephesh, one way to translate nephesh is just simply me. Because your soul is who you are. You don't just have a soul. You are a soul. I'll say that again. You don't just have a soul, like as if it's some part of you. You are a soul. So your soul is you. So when Moses says, love the Lord your God with your soul, what he's saying is, love the Lord your God with your whole being. That's what he's saying. Psalm 42, 2, it says this. My soul thirsts for God. You remember what I said the literal translation of nephesh is in Hebrew? Your throat. So do you see how this makes sense? My throat thirsts for you, for the living God. There's another passage. Some of you remember the song, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. As the deer is thirsty for the water, so my throat is thirsty for the water. But really the, the true meaning is my whole person. Another translation of this just says, I thirst for God. But in the ESV it says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. 
when shall I come and appear before God? So now that you understand soul, now that you understand what the soul is, we, as we thought about this, we thought, how do we best explain to someone coming to Alpine Church what it means to love the Lord your God at the soul level? A soul level commitment to God. That's what we're talking about today. How do I commit to God at the soul level? And we thought, why would we complicate this? We, for several years, have been defining how to do just this. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. A soul-level commitment to God is what we at Alpine have called full-circle faith. What that means is, if you're going to give your whole person to God at Alpine Church, that means you do three things. You trust Jesus. Then you honor God in your daily choices and in your activities. And finally, if you're going to give your whole person to Jesus... If you're going to make a soul-level commitment to God, then you're going to also make disciples. And so just real quick, I want to unpack these three things in the next 10 minutes. Before I do that, I want to talk about the opposite of a soul-level commitment to God. The opposite of a soul-level commitment to God is, is a Sunday-level commitment to God, a Sunday-morning commitment to God, or a every other week Sunday morning commitment to God or uh, if I feel like it commitment to God. See, what, what Moses was saying to the people of God, to the Israelites, is he said, when you get into the promised land, what's gonna happen is you're gonna get distracted. You're gonna get distracted by all the stuff that happens when you have to build homes and plant gardens and start a society and, oh, and also you have to run, run off the other people who were living there. <laughs> so you're gonna be in battles and you're gonna be in wars and what happens is you're gonna get distracted by life that comes along. Can anyone relate to getting distracted by life that comes along? And we wanna, yeah, God's watching. We might as well be honest about this. Like, it is so easy to get distracted, whether times are good or whether times are bad. It is so easy to get distracted. And when you get distracted, you forget to make a soul-level commitment to God. Or at least you forget to follow through on your soul-level commitment to God. And what can happen is you just start sort of pushing him into this corner in your life. Some of you, when you first came to faith in Christ, you just you had this soul-level commitment to God. And maybe today, here we are 10 or 15 or 20 years down the road, and you say, where did that fire go? Where did that love go? Where did that commitment go? And it's so easy to, to, to push away the whole being and say, God, I'm not going to give you my whole being. I'm not going to give you my whole person. I'm going to give you an hour on Sunday. I'm not going to give you my finances. I'm going to give you a little portion of it. And then that portion of it dwindles and dwindles and dwindles. And so what God is calling us to, and what Moses was calling the Israelites to, was this soul-level commitment to God, which, again, we define as these three things. So let's unpack that real quick today. Number one, we first make a soul-level commitment by trusting Jesus. This is what opens the door to a real relationship with God. 
Romans 3.22 says this, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. I love the story that Mark Alstrom just shared. Some of you are like, man, I can relate to that. He was struggling. He had addiction in his life. And then he met Jesus. He trusted Jesus for salvation. And if you know Mark, it changed his life. It absolutely turned his life upside down. It saved his marriage. It saved his thought life. It saved his inner person because he's, lo- he, he's loving God with his heart now, with his inner person, which means his mind, his feelings, his decision-making. If you've ever struggled with an addiction, you know what it does to you. It starts in your mind, and it moves to your heart, and eventually it affects your decision-making. And now you start doing things you don't even want to do. You don't even intend to do. Paul talks about this in Romans 7. He says, the things I want to do, I don't do. And what I do want to do, what I don't want to do, I end up doing those things. That sounds like an an addict. Paul relates to that because he recognizes the way that this works. And here's the good news is that when we trust Jesus for salvation, everything changes. When we trust Jesus for salvation, that's the beginning of a soul-level commitment to God. Otherwise, what you're working on and what, you're, what you're, your pursuit of God is all dependent on you and your goodness and your morality and your ability to make better decisions. The Bible actually teaches that we're made right with God not by being a better person or trying harder or, or by being perfect or by following all the rules. No, we're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And at that moment of faith in Jesus Christ, he begins to change us from the inside out. This is what we talked about last week, is is this heart-level love that we can have actually is a gift to us by God. God, Ezekiel and Jeremiah both said this, as God said, there's gonna come a day when I'm gonna change your heart. I'm not gonna write my laws on, on stone tablets anymore. I'm gonna write them on your heart. That's called a heart-level commitment. And that happens when we, that first happens when we trust Jesus for salvation. And by the way, this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. There's no sin, there's no secret, there's nothing that you could have done that would put you outside of the reach of God. That's the first thing. We trust Jesus. Here's the second thing we demonstrate this soul-level commitment by honoring God in daily life. In other words, God doesn't want us just to give him lip service and say, I'm a Christian now, and then just go live our lives the way we always lived them. That's not a soul-level commitment to God. A soul-level commitment impacts how we think, how we feel, how we talk, how we act, how we relate, how we spend our money. We could make this list as long as we want. How we spend our money, how we budget, how we parent, young people, how, how, you, how you make friends, who you make friends with. A soul-level commitment to God impacts every part of our lives. And, and the best way to say, the, the best way to explain the impact, we use the word, is we want to honor God in daily life. What's the opposite of honoring God? Honoring yourself, following yourself, following your own desires, your own heart. No, when we're, when, if we make a soul-level commitment to God, we say, I want to honor you. I want to find out what pleases God, and I want to do that thing. See, by nature, we want to find out what pleases me and do that thing. 
No, but when we make a soul-level commitment to God, we find out what pleases God, and we do that. Let's look at some scripture for this. Deuteronomy 6, 6. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. This is Moses. This is the next thing he said. You notice Deuteronomy 6, 6. So this is right after the Shema. The next thing after the Shema, after he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, he says, commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands. That's loving God with your soul, with all of you. Commit yourself wholeheartedly. All of you, all of you nefesh, all of your levav. I want you, I want you to commit all of it. I want you to commit to doing it, not just hearing it. I want you to commit to doing it. I want you to make a soul-level commitment. In the New Testament, Jesus said it like this. John 15, 14, if you love me, obey my commandments. You know, sometimes we make the Christian life so complicated, it's not that complicated. If you love me, Jesus said, obey my commandment. You can say you love me all day long. Oh, I love you, Lord. But Moses said, I want you to love me with all your heart and soul and strength And Jesus said it like this, if you love me, you'll obey me. I'll know it by what you do. How many of you parents have ever been frustrated by your kids talking about their intentions? How many of you wives, how many of you husbands have been frustrated by your spouse talking about their intentions? And after a certain point, you're just like, would you, those words ring hollow to me. Would you just do it? Would you stop talking about it? And would you just do it? This is what Moses is saying. This is what Jesus is saying. If you love me, you'll obey me. Like that's, that's measurable. That, you can be held to account for that, right? This is what Jesus said. And one more, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. What a great summary verse for what it means to live our lives in such a way to honor God. Whatever you do, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. God wants us to give every part of our lives to him. And by the way, that does include how we eat. (laughs) And it does include how we drink. I was thinking about one of our, one of the guys that we've had teach for us before, Eddie. He's kind of a health nut. And he's got a whole channel where he talks about how to how to eat right. And part of me is just like, oh, come on. Like, that's not, that's not discipleship content, you know? Who cares how you eat? But the more I watch this channel, the more I'm like, you know, this is true. It, it should even, imp- if we're giving our whole nefesh to God, that's our throat. <laughs> that means what we eat, what we drink, certainly what we drink. Some people get drunk. Jesus says it's pretty clear in the Bible. Don't get drunk. It doesn't say you can't have a drink. But it does say, don't get drunk. So even, even to the point, loving God with all of our nefesh means that it impacts not just how we think and act and relate and spend and all that stuff. It also affects how we eat. It also affects how we drink. It affects what we bring into our body. It affects all of us. Why? Because we want to do it all for the glory of God. And there's one last thing, and this is the thing I'm passionate about, and it's good for you that I'm out of time because I could go on about this one, but I'm, I'm still gonna do it. Here, here's the last part of that circle. A nat, the natural outcome of a soul-level commitment to God is concern for others. 
that when you make a soul-level commitment to God, over yeah, at first it, it manifests itself in going to church and going to small group and reading your Bible and praying and all these things that we talk about that a good Christian does. But the natural outcome, I would say the most natural outcome of a soul-level commitment to God is concern for others. When you first become a Christian, it's all internally focused. It's like, oh, I want to read this. This is awesome. I want to read the Bible. And it's good. It's good to read the Bible. It's good to develop and nurture your relationship with God. But the natural outcome is at some point you read stuff and you're like, oh, man. And then you interact with people who are far from God and you want to help them. You want to help them know Jesus. You want to help them have a relationship with God. You start getting concerned for their soul. That's the natural outcome. And just so you don't mistake what we're talking about here, this means we make disciples at home and in the world. We looked at the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. I just showed you verse 6, which says, commit to these and and obey them wholeheartedly. Let me show you verse 7, the next verse. It says this. Again, right after Moses speaks the Shema for the very first time. He says this, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. What's he talking about? Parents, he's talking about discipling your kids. When you, when you think about what it means to be a good parent, what are you thinking? You're probably thinking about teaching them how to work hard in school and and have good friendships and all that kind of stuff, the first thing, if you're a Christian parent, that you should be thinking about is teaching them God's ways. That's what Moses is saying in Deuteronomy 6-7. Repeat these things to your children. It's not your kid's church director's job to disciple your kids. Parents, it's your job. So you should disciple your kids first, and then, of course, It should eventually extend to the people around us in Layton and in Syracuse and all throughout Utah because Jesus said this, Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. And these are our marching orders. And so if you have a soul-level commitment to God, you don't just trust Jesus, You don't just try to honor God with your daily spiritual disciplines and going to church and all that stuff. That's all important. But it it actually reaches down to the point where it impacts the way you view the world. And you're like, I want to help these other people. I've got to finish with this story. I'm discipling a guy from our West Haven campus. And and he's a brand new believer. And he's been diving into the Every week we come together, we do a top. We're going through the pursuit together. And, and we're doing a topic together, and he's reading the Bible. It's so cool. He pulls, he pulls his Bible out, and, and he's, putting his, he's old like me, so he puts his glasses on to read it. And, and he's like, oh, and he's like marking up his Bible. It's so cool to see that he's personally engaging in his Bible now. But what happened just a few weeks ago is he started talking about his friends who don't know Jesus. That's good. Your soul-level commitment to God shouldn't just be about your life and your relationship with God. It should extend to the people around you. And at some point, you start to have the heart of Jesus for the people around you. And that's what my buddy's doing. And so we're teaching him how to disciple. And he's gonna do this. He's gonna become a disciple maker because that's what it means to love God with all your soul. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would help us 
to make a soul-level commitment to you. I pray that we would love you with all of our heart and all of our nefesh, all of our soul. I pray that it would impact every single aspect of our lives. God, that we would give our whole person to you. And I pray, Lord God, that you would be glorified because of it. And I pray that your name would be made known to the people around us because we love you with our whole souls. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.